Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning, Creekwood. There are two scripture readings this morning. The first is from Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14, 18 through 20. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it, and settled in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. When he has taken the throne of his kingdom, he shall have a copy of this law written for him in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall remain with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, diligently observing all the words of this law and these statutes, neither exalting himself above other members of the community, nor turning aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he and his descendants may reign long over his kingdom in Israel. And the second reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly, but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The word of God for the people of God. So if you've ever read the Old Testament and you think they just keep saying the same thing over and over again, so-and-so was begat from so-and-so, so-and-so was begat from so-and-so, it's just a tradition of the church to be redundant and say the same thing over and over again. Let me give you some examples here. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's from Romans. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you go back to Romans, you can see again that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's almost like they couldn't come up with some new material every now and then. If you look at the New Testament, there is this common creed that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and you would think that that wouldn't be the most controversial thing that early Christians did. But it is. 
You would think that the most controversial thing that early Christians said was that our Messiah was born and raised again, that raised from the dead in the resurrection. But that was kind of a part of other stories that were out there as well. That could have just been a religious belief by this kind of fringe religious group that existed over in the corner. And so that could have been the most controversial thing, but it wasn't. You could have thought that the most controversial thing was that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, born of the Holy Spirit without a man's help. And that would have been the most controversial thing, except while the resurrection is largely stated in the earliest creeds, like 1 Corinthians 15, the incarnation doesn't show up immediately in terms of what is important to Christians. And so the incarnation in the virgin birth shows up, it becomes an orthodox belief, 50 years later or so by the time Matthew writes his gospel, but early Christians are not proclaiming incarnation as the most controversial thing that they could say. The most controversial thing that the early church said over and over and over again is the statement, Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's controversial because there is another really high-powered, very austere figure who also goes by the name Lord. If you don't get, have any guesses, I'll tell you. His name is Octavian. Only Octavian doesn't mean Lord. Octavian was the person who eventually won the title of Caesar, Julius Caesar. And then there was kind of this triumvirate, and then he eventually took power. And when he took power over Rome, his name ceased to be Octavian, and it went to Augustus Caesar. And Augustus Caesar was, at that point, the most powerful human being that the world had ever known in charge of the largest empire that the world had ever known, the, most, the strongest empire that the world had ever known. And the title Augustus wasn't just like a cute king name that they assigned him earlier. Augustus means great and majestic. And it was the word used as an honorary title when they would describe their gods and goddesses. And so if they were talking about Mars, they would talk about Augustus Mars, the great Mars. And so Augustus, instead of Octavian elevates this mere mortal who took power to the plane of spiritual deity. And it was not uncommon for Romans to talk about Augustus as a son of God, Lord of all, if those words sound familiar to anybody else. And do you know what happened to political dissenters in Roman times? We can fast forward to Good Friday and you will see what happens to political dissenters in Roman times. And so when Christians started talking or when Revelation speaks, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. This is an incredibly powerful statement. It's an incredibly dangerous statement for the early church to make. Because they are not simply saying that we have our church over here and our state over here. They are saying that the entire thing, the entire world, every aspect of our lives, we are giving over to the real Lord. And so by proclaiming Jesus is Lord, they are in fact proclaiming Augustus is not Lord. And in fact, he is a false god. And the Roman way of conquering and victory is a false way. But it goes back even before this. If you look through, if you uh, look in um, the Old Testament, 
um, you will find the name of God is, whenever it has Lord in capital letters, it's really what's called the tetragamon. It's Yahweh is how they pronounce it. And this is what Moses hears out of the burning bush when it says, who, who is it that's telling me to do this? Or who shall I tell the Israelites that it has sent me? And, and it kind of translates loosely to, I am that I am. And this is the name of God until the exile. And in the exile, they stop speaking this holy name of God. They stop writing this holy name of God. And so instead, they start using the word Adonai. And the word Adonai literally translates to Lord or Master. And what we see from this language is that from the very beginning, that the revelation has always been, or the way of things has always supposed to be, that God is the only center of authority for our lives. That God is the only voice of authority in the world. And when we put our resources into a basket that is not actively about God, or if we put our time and our energy into something that is not actively with God's ways, then we are calling something else Lord. And when we get to Deuteronomy, and you have Deuteronomy 17, which we're going to be reading different parts of throughout the rest of Advent, this is when you come into your land, you're going to want a king. Because who can exist with this ethereal God and just a paper law? We need someone who's going to take charge we need a figurehead to look for, and so you're going to want a king. And that's okay. You can have a king. And in this way of thinking, in Deuteronomy, the king is a bit of an incarnation of God. When you look at the way Saul is described, or David is described, or any of those kings, the king is God's emissary. And so instead of the high priest or like Samuel being the major voice of God, the king is supposed to be God's voice. It's a little bit of an incarnation of God's presence. God's presence is truly in the temple, but the king is God's representative on earth. And you can tell this when you look through First and Second Kings, and you see the punishment that happens because of the bad kings. And you think about that poor little shepherd that was just minding their own business, not doing anything. Because the kings are so important because they are supposed to be God's voice on earth. And so, when you choose a king, they are to keep the law next to them. In fact, they're supposed to have a whole new law written out in the presence of the Levitical priest so that they know that it is authentic, so they know that the king isn't doctoring the law for his own power, so that the king, yes, has all of the authority in this kingdom, except if it contradicts with what God desires. So that a king is not supposed to be domineering and authoritative and controlling. A king is supposed to be humble and a steward of what God would have the people do. This is where we get this controversial, thing, controversial nature of Jesus is Lord versus Augustus is Lord or versus David or Solomon is Lord or you know what, even us. Because while it, while it goes for a king, we as Christians believe that we are endowed with the Holy Spirit. And so whether you think of yourself as a king or a queen or even a leader, you are in some respect. You have been given the Holy Spirit and you have taken on the, the name Christ. And the name Christian in, literally translates to little Christ. You have taken on a portion of this responsibility to represent and be Christ for the world. And so 
keeping the law close to you matters. Not doing simply what we want to do by following God in humility matters. And there's a real testament to the early church in this very controversial way. It's not just a statement that they write on signs and they parade through the streets saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, but it is a way of life that they adopt that is completely countercultural to the way of Augustus. Because while the, the Romans would, um, if you weren't productive to society, they just kind of let you go. But the Christians came in in this really they wrote about how controversial it was and how weird it was that Christians would take care of the sick and the poor and the widow and the lame. They didn't just let their elderly fade away because they weren't productive anymore. They actively cared for the elderly and actively cared for the lepers when all the Romans would just get rid of them because they weren't productive to society anymore. The Romans had a way of expansion through conquest. When they wanted to lean into their hedonistic ways, and they wanted to lean into more wealth and privilege and power, they just went and killed other people and took their stuff. And it was weird that the Christians were against war, and they valued life, and they protected life at all costs. When the Romans talked about their king, they talked about a great and mighty warrior whom all reverence should be paid for. But when the Christians talked about their king, they talked about a God who had such humility, such love, that God took on flesh and came to be amongst us. And well, then you could say, well, there's the Son of God, Augustus, versus the Son of God, Jesus. But the Son of God, Jesus, didn't come in with a war horse and a spear and, and guns blazing. The Son of God, Jesus, came in humility and healed those whom nobody else wanted to touch. And he didn't take over the world. He died for the world. The ethic of love that Christians pronounce, you can find in John 3, 17, that God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. My youngest daughter has taken um, this hobby of wearing as many bracelets on her arm as she possibly can. It's a little like 1990s Johnny Depp. And the other day I was just, I mean, it's just usually one of those mystifying things of, you know, why would you take 20 minutes to load your arm up with these things? But I saw the other day, I looked, and she was taking them off, and I saw like five of these WWJD bracelets. She got, she got them from Bridgeport Camp, and then she got a few from the youth group prize bucket um, as well. And I asked her if she knew what it meant, and she said, oh, yeah, it means what would Jesus do? And I said, well, does that remind you of anything? And she goes, no, I just wear it. And I said, well, great, we'll work on that. Um, but I remember, some of you remember, these came out in around like mid-90s. I was in middle school at the time. They started coming out and it became this fashion trend eventually, but they gave them to us. And it was supposed to be a three-tiered system. It was you wore the bracelet so it would help you remember that God was close to you. And so when you looked at it, you remember that God was close to you because so much of Christian teaching at the time had been, well, you have to follow every which way, like don't drink, don't cuss, don't do these things, and then God will love you. Well, this was a representation that we can't follow all 616 laws. It's just impossible to do so. And so if we can't keep the law close to us, the law came close to us. In John 1, it talks about the Word was with God and the Word was God. We often talk about the Word of God as the Bible. Well, the Word of God is Jesus. 
And the Bible points us to Jesus. And Jesus came close that the law would be close to us. So these bracelets were a reminder that God had chosen to come close to us. And then the second part of it was the, the expression, what would Jesus do? And so when you get in a pinch and you're not sure of the right things to do, you think, okay, what would Jesus do? And it helps you think about the right thing to do in any given situation. But then the third thing was if someone comes and asks you about what this bracelet means, what does WWJD mean? What you're supposed to do is you take it off and you explain, I keep this on to let me know that God loves me and is close to me and helps me remember to act in the same way that Jesus does. And here, I wonder if you might want to do the same with me. And you give them the bracelet. And it was never meant to be a condemnation that someone else didn't have a bracelet. It was never meant to be, well, if you don't wear this, you're never going to be saved and you're going to go to hell. It was always meant to be an invitation of, I love you. Jesus loves you. And you know what? If we think about this together, maybe we can lead the world in love together. And this is the invitation I think we have as we consider that we are perhaps kings and queens of the Most High, that we are servants, kings and queens of the Most High, that we've been given the Holy Spirit to be part of what Jesus is doing on this earth, and that we are meant to keep the law close to us. But the good news is, is that while we can't keep the law close to us, while we can't follow the law all the time, while we can't earn our own holiness, we know that God is close to us. And the invitation we have is to invite others to know that God is close to them. The invitation we have is to invite others to act in love toward one another, to not succumb to the Augustus ways of the world, to not succumb to the leaders who would tell us that we deserve everything and then we'll go fight for everything, but to, to submit, to be born again humbly in a manger through the Holy Spirit to the way of a king who tells us to love. This is, as we go into communion, you'll hear Carrie Lynn talk about this open table concept of communion. Because communion is not meant to be a bracelet that only the insiders get to wear. Communion is not supposed to be just one for all the people who have the power to dominate everybody else. Communion is a transformational experience where we die to ourselves and rise with Christ to go be Christ's hands and feet in the world. We partake and we participate in the life of Christ through communion, and it is meant to be a sign that the kingdom of Christ is about love. So as we go to communion, I invite you to think about a God who loved you so much that when you could not follow the law completely, when you could not dominate others like you might want to, when you are not the most important person on this earth, even if you might want to be, if you are even feeling lower than that, Jesus came close to you. Jesus came close to you so that you might know that no matter what, there is nothing that will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, there are many kings and queens and rulers of this world that we could lift up signs for and wave flags and celebrate, but we know that none of them hold a candle to the power and might that you have in heaven and earth. And God, in that power and might, you chose to be born amongst animals in a manger so that even the least of these might know, that even the least of us might know that we are welcome in your kingdom. So God, for your overwhelming and abundant love, 
May we bind it to our wrists. May we fill our hearts so that we might be examples to all who know us that your kingdom is love and that you are love. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.